Steve Kerr goes back to Iguodala. They got five perimeter players in. And Draymond Green hear it from the crowd with an obscene chant. And as Brown will inbound. Coming up on four minutes from... Ladies and gentlemen. This is entitled Weekend. Welcome to Entitled Weekend. After a a very long hiatus, we've got a lot to get into. Uh, and uh, I want to start with you, uh, Bill. Um, the mothership tackled the Celtics uh, game uh, before Friday, and it w- was interesting about. <laughs> and I don't necessarily want to talk about. Uh, well, we, we'll get into some of the game later, but. I want to talk about the the reaction of of Draymond Green and Klay Thompson and just the entire well everybody except Steph Curry after the game it it was something like I've never seen before and just the reaction to their response to fans and just just the overall just I don't it gives pussy to me <laughs> it, it just it gives it gives the the like are, you're you're a grown adult, but you're acting like a child. It. What did you think about all of that? Well, what I thought about it essentially was you have to be exceptionally wrong in your post game press conference for fans from Philadelphia, New York, and other East Coast hotbed cities to come to the defense of fans from Boston. That was one of the softest arrays of commentary that I have ever seen from a team that is largely underperforming in this series. Steph Curry is the only reason they're in that series. They've gotten moments of brilliance from a couple of other players, but really they should be focused on their own game. Draymond Green is a liability on the, with the exception of maybe 10 minutes of game two. He's been a liability on the court for the for the uh, Warriors this series. And to his credit, he was the least soft of the triad of him, Kerr, and Clay Thompson. It's just ridiculous that it's, oh, they said fuck. Will somebody please think of the children? I'm have you watched what people see now? I remember coming to Red Sox games with my father in the early 90s. And he would tell me what to ignore when I was heading towards Fenway. And he'd tell me what I wasn't allowed to tell my mother when we were coming back. That like that has been around for decades. And not just in Boston. I've been to games in Philadelphia. I've been to games on the West Coast in San Diego. And you hear in every game, vulgarity crudeness drunk a-holes it's the way of the world and it's been that way forever and the fact that they're coming out and acting like they've never heard fuck before is comical and speaks to a team that's looking to distract from their own struggles and individual players is really what I should say because it's not Steph Curry looking to distract because he's been brilliant the entire series it's individual players looking to distract from their own struggles and looking to distract from the fact that they're not playing as well as they should. Clay Thompson's had good moments. He's not playing like Clay Thompson. Draymond Green, largely absent. Jordan Poole, large, you know, largely absent. It's been a lot of players that really should be focused on their own flaws, pulling attention and coaches who have in a lot of ways been out coached at key moments. I'll say the end of game four, I would say Kerr, you know, did a great job coaching that matchup situation there, pulling Draymond, all of that. But for three and a half games, he was out coached by Ime. And so you've got a lot of people trying to distract from their own failings by speaking about the fans of Boston. And that's typical. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess you could say the the whole Boston sports fans are the worst is like the lowest hanging fruit of, of Twitter jokes. It's 
it's timeless. I mean, it's a team that's successful. It's usually, it's just, it's just, it's just perfect. It was chef's kiss. Um, so going off of what Bill said in terms of what Clay Thompson and, and, and Bill and Steve Kerr rather were, um, were bitching and moaning about, I think it was just like what Bill was saying. It's, it's a way of distracting from their poor performance individually. Um, Bill did note that he may has outcoached Steve Kerr three and a, for three and a half games of the four games in that last quarter. I mean, Steve Kerr did, did help with the matchups, but I do think it was a, it was a matter of missing shots and, and just stuff not falling for the Celtics. Um, and I, I think I think I may have touched on this earlier, but the juxtaposition between Clay Thompson and Steve Kerr complaining about the, the Celtics fans using the F word and calling us classy and really being so soft about it. And then Draymond Green, 10 minutes later, swearing in front of his child, I think was just a chef's kiss moment for, for all of us. Um, but I mean, Steve Kerr is kind of insufferable. I remember three months ago when Marcus Smart landed for or dove for a loose ball and and hurt Steph Curry's foot initially, he complained and said that wasn't part of the NBA code. Whatever the hell that means, this man inherited a roster seven years ago because Mark Jackson is crazy and went on to win three championships. It's just, I don't, I've got no respect for Steve Kerr. I just find him so soft, so, so damn soft. And Clay Thompson, I thought I had more respect for him too, coming back from those two injuries. That might be the funniest post-game clip I've ever heard. Real classy. Nice job, Boston. Oh my God, that is so soft. That is so, so damn soft. Has anyone's legacy been benefited more by tripping and falling into the right situation than Steve Kerr? I mean, 90s Bulls and 2010s, early 2020s Warriors. Like, uh, you've fallen into generational circumstances. And it's not a situation like a Phil Jackson where it's like, knows how to coach superstars. It's guy falls and trips and falls in and you can't fire him because he's winning titles it it, like i'm not saying he's a terrible coach but how many you know how many coaches do you feel like could coach that team to the same number of championships and i think the number is probably double digits you know it's it's close you know you might i'm not going to argue with somebody saying oh he's a top 10 coach there's there's only so many coaches in the league i get that but He's not some like pushing the buttons genius. He's not some schematic savant who's drawing up all the perfect inbound plays. It's let Steph cook, let Steph cook forever, and then continue to let Steph cook. And that's it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. He is, he is basically just a good people person and superstar manager. I think outside of that, he gets a lot of credit because Steph Curry makes 48% of his threes and Clay Thompson is Clay Thompson and they recruited Kevin Durant. I think he gets a lot of credit for having probably three of the six best shooters on the planet for his team for 80% of his tenure there. It's just remarkable. The, the fellation of of him that the media and, and NBA fans alike do. And I think it's just, it's telling to, sh- to see what Ime has done in this series and in this run um, between lineup changes, um, getting these guys to play. Cause I, I mean, we do know they get the two young guys, the two GAs to play together and, and play hard and, and stay committed and focused for, for a full season has been a challenge. And I think that's a challenge across the NBA, but I think Ime does a really good job of getting to these guys. And I know that's overplayed, but I really do think that Ime is, I mean, when he, when he can turn to the bench and say, hey, guys, you're playing like assholes, and then all of a sudden they, they figure it out, that's something I don't think Brad Stevens could have done. And that's not a Brad Stevens thing. That's just an email having the balls to say it to those guys. Right. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, I think Kerr is probably the second worst coach they've played against this postseason. I, I don't even think that's up for debate. I, I mean, you know, I'm not putting him behind Nash because holy shit, is that guy bad? But, you know, it's you're looking at, you're looking at the other teams and it's, that you know, I th- I you know once at one point put Spolster in a similar category to Kerr, but he's proven that to be false. Spolster is a hell of a coach, you know. There he he's top, you know he's top five and he's not five in the, in the NBA. Um, but you're you're talking, you know, that this guy is overrated. People will put him in the top five, and he's really probably borderline top ten coach in the NBA who just lets Steph cook. But I just want to go back to the reaction after the game because it was because the media and to me, it just seems like every time 
a Boston-based team wins a major, like a, and it's it's not even a regular season game. When they're on the spotlight, when they're in big games like Super Bowls and playoff games like this, it always goes back to, you know, an excuse. It's always an excuse for why the other team lost. Ever think the reason is, oh, I don't know, you got beat? Does that ever enter the equation? That, and I don't want to go into a whole, oh, this is the way society is rant, but it seems like that's the way it is because it always goes back to, oh, this is racist, blah, 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 blah. And it, like, why does it automatically go to that? It, it if, if you're using, first of all, if you're using race issues in one particular city to hide the fact that your sports team lost, then Maybe maybe you're hiding problems in your own city, but we don't have to get into that. That's a little too deep. But to me, the reaction was unbelievable. Uh, and th- this one tweet that I don't, I'm not sure if it's even real or not, or if it's true or not, or if it's just a joke. But this uh, teleprompter reader from uh, Cron 4 News in San Francisco, Jason Dumas, had the most unbelievable tweet of the uh, of the whole thing. Talking, saying that he t- talked with multiple Warrior staffers and uh, talking about their experience in Boston, saying that one had to take off his dub shirt Wednesday morning because he kept getting cussed out. And another saying that he's been flipped 17 times. So I guess one more and then they'll have the, the hopefully the 18th uh, banner for the 18th bird flip. Uh, First of all, how many are you? Did you literally count 18 times that you were flipped off? Because <laughs> I, I can't count 18 times I'm, I've said hello to somebody. Like, are you like it? So the tweet to me is is borderline, you know, one of those, uh, what is those Reddits, uh, didn't happen or this happened type of stories. It's, it, it, it's amazing. It's amazing how soft this organization, this, this entire Warriors organization has become especially when you consider how experienced they've been in these playoffs and the media has has had a huge part in in all of this and it's it just exploded that that day and I could I couldn't I couldn't believe the stuff I was hearing I really couldn't you know I was thinking about this and I don't it probably happened but I don't remember this reaction from the warriors being this aggressive when they played the raptors in the in the game where where Kevin Durant blew out his Achilles and the raptors fans were cheering when he could not get up on his blown Achilles. I'm sure there was some sort of reaction being like, wow, Raptors fans are terrible. They're, they're awful humans. They're insensitive. What about the kids? And it's just like, we say, fuck you, Draymond. And we're horrible. Like, it's just, I'm sure horrible things were said in Cleveland when they played them three times in a row in the finals. It's just stay in the moment, guys. I've never seen a group of, of players that the, the Warriors that are pissing their pants so, so strongly over just a, Fuck you, Draymond. Like Draymond was being a instigator the entirety of game two. What did they what did they want us to respond with? Like and and for what it's worth, if you're bringing your kid to a NBA finals game, I think you can expect to hear an F word. You can expect to hear an F word on the ride on Interstate 93 on the expressway going into the game, let alone a nine o'clock start on a Tuesday in um in TD Garden. It's just what do these guys expect? It's it's so f- if your kid's not old enough to hear the word fuck, they shouldn't be at a nine o'clock NBA finals game on a Tuesday night. They should be in bed getting ready for school the next day. Like You're spending the, 900 bucks on a ticket. What do you expect your kid to hear? Like, I'm, I'm sorry. You're like, at, at the concession stand if they don't have, you know, chicken fingers. Yeah. Old, old, you know, I hate to be old man yells at cloud, but like, you know, it's you're you're not, you know, your five-year-old kid shouldn't be at the NBA finals game if you're afraid of what they're going to hear because you're choosing to bring them into an environment that is naturally going to lead to some of the language that you're that you're talking about. And it really comes down to the Warriors being, you know, you it's that old Batman adage of, you know, you either die a hero or, you know, live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And, the, you know, Clay Thompson in 2015 talking about LeBron being soft for being called the pussy ass bitch by somebody and reacting was him saying, oh, I, I block all that out. Like some people get offended by words. And now that they're the pariah, now that they're, you know, now that they've become, you know, the leading team in the NBA over the last 10 years. Now they're the ones 
that get offended by anybody who questions their greatness by dropping, you know, vulgar language or what have you. And people buy into it and people will do things like saying, you know, staffers, oh, I, I got flipped off 17 times. Bullshit. Like you might have got flipped off, but you know what? David Wade put out a tweet that talked about seeing a group of, you know, 20 dubs fans walking down the street, you know, sort of just starting that let's go Warriors chant. And they had some friendly banter with Boston fans. And you've seen those stories coming out as well. You know what you haven't seen? You haven't seen people being put into comas like you see in the Dodgers Giants rivalry. You're not seeing people get beat in the parking lots. You're not seeing people getting into physical altercations like the Rangers Lightning. So, by all accounts, it is let the animosity out at the team in a way that is, you know, offensive language, but is within the rules of respect and not go after their fans, not throw drinks at people, not, you know, it's not been a hostile environment for fans. And that's pretty clear based on what you're hearing. And so you hear that. And then, you know, it's just this clutch your pearls wanting the, you know, and it's all comes down to dragging that attention away, which would bring me to, you know, fucking Chris Gasper saying, oh, I don't know why you'd need to swear. Like he wants us to like put on our fucking monocles and say, oh, verily, please stop the, you know, scoring of points <laughs> warriors. We would very much like to win the NBA championship, please. Like what a fucking try hard. You know why you say fuck you, Draymond? Because it gets to him. Because, you know, you know, you suck or, you know, jerk face or something isn't going to like get under his skin. This got under their skin. That's why you do it. That's the whole point of home court advantage is to get under the skin of the opponent. Like, that's why you choose that language, Chris Gasper. Not because Chris we're, Gasper has, has Chris Gasper has the balls to talk about the talking language when he he sits 20, 20 inches away from somebody who told told some told somebody's kids to die. Yep. That, that's the hypocrisy we're dealing with here. Right. Well, we that's that because... sound clip someday for the podcast. I hope you outlive your children. Jim Murray said it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't matter because Jim Murray isn't isn't a fan in an arena. It all, you know, he's he's getting paid to tell people that their children should outlive that, that you know that they that they should outlive their children. You know, they're, they're, he's getting paid to say that. So that's okay. Bullshit. Yeah. Ga- Gasper can, you know, go fuck himself for that. Fuck you, Gasper chance. Game six. Make it happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Chris Gasper is probably... Um, not enough words can be said about how awful he is. He's He is just a... He, he's different than, than the media, than other sports media. And I think we've all touched on this before, but he's the most verbose fuck I've ever met on Twitter. I've never, I've never seen someone use a thesaurus so hard. He's basically having sex with his thesaurus every time he tweets. It's fucking insane. The sophistry, folks, the sophistry. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who uses $3 words and he only has $1.50 in the bank. Correct. He jumped, Absolutely. He jumps on bandwagons. I don't think anybody notices this, but he, he jumps on whenever whenever the trending topic or, or thing that's happening, he jumps on the bandwagon and he 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 like jumps in front of everyone else. It's like everyone else is in the line. He's like, hey guys, listen to me. I know this. I can speak to this. And and he just comes up with the most unbelievable thing that has nothing to do with it. But because he uses those big words and he uses the all, you know. He he fucks the thesaurus, like you said, Joe. Um, he, it masquerades the fact that he doesn't know anything, but because he's using those big words, he he seemingly does to to, to those who have no clue. He he tried to be the Walmart version of Mike Reese for a little while, and once that didn't work, he got mad and became this sanctimonious, pop, pompous dickhead. And and that's so he decided to become like Diet Felger, you know, like many have. He's, you know, Diet Felger with a thesaurus. <laughs> yeah, no, that's he, his game. He jumps on these bandwagons. He makes the the uneducated think he's educated by using big words. And then he gatekeeps it. He gatekeeps all these, these bandwagons and makes you think that he is the one who came up with it. He's the smartest man alive. He is the reason why Channel 5 is the go-to sports source for all things Boston, even though he, I think he just left there and went back to the Globe because him and Volan are just this one, two punch of perfection over there. So it's just, no, that guy is 
awful. I don't, I, I can't imagine there's people on, on the weekends who turn on the radio and willingly put on Gasper and Murray and think to themselves, yep, this is going to make me a better person. I, I can't, I can't envision anybody who's deciding to do that. It's, it's gross. <laughs> <laughs> like if you do that, I don't want to know you. So I uh, like, I don't want to be like, how, how don't talk they... to me, but don't. <laughs> what, what I, what I hate the most is how are these, how are the, that, how is that station the sports station for both teams, the Celtics and the Patriots? It, 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 it boggles the mind. It really does. I mean, when you're look at your choices, like you know, I, I mean, mean, the, the I mean, Patriots, the, the other, the other one is is irrelevant. So you know, yeah, that, the, the other station is a country station, so it doesn't, it doesn't country ninety three seven. Yeah, it, 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 they don't, they don't, they don't uh, register anything on the Richter scale. But I think it speaks to a lot that the Patriots said to EEI back in the day, nah. You're not getting the Patriots. We'd rather have it on the rock radio network as opposed to your sports network. So, you know, I, I think, the, you know, if, if there weren't multiple sports stations and they didn't already have a contract for these games, I think things would look a lot different. You know, that that's sort of the world we're living in now. But the Patriots back in the day told you everything you need to know about the sports media in Boston before the Brady era, you know, they were, they said, no, we will, we would rather be the Patriots rock radio network as opposed to being part of a sports station. I have a quick question for, for both of you before we move on. It's just, it's a quick Celtics question point and even a sports radio point. Who is worse, Jake in Boston or Dakota and Braintree? And I need your reasons why. They both suck. <laughs> yeah, they're both awful. That's <laughs> but, a hypothetical question. They're yeah, both you're, terrible. Yeah, you remember the episode of South Park where they're doing the election and it's giant douche or turd sandwich? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, do a, a I mean, writing the candidate. Like, is, oh. The difference is one wears eyeliner. That's that's the difference. <laughs> I mean, if, that, if that's what you mean. I mean, could they be the same person in like a different skin suit? Like. Well, I, uh, there's a tweet from nine months ago that Dakota said he wanted to trade Jason Tatum for Rui Hachimura because Rui had it and just Jason Tatum does not. It's just perfect. I always retweet that every time he, he puts up 40 in a in a game six against the Bucks. Just absolutely perfection. Ridiculous. Yeah. What, I, what, I, what, what, what's interesting is Jake from Boston uh, kind of uh, shied away after he was he was sort of exposed thanks to the 15. Um, he's 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 a fraud and an absolute. What I what I did not like is the local media covering it covering it like it's an like first of all like he was a Patriots fan because he's not a Patriots fan that that anybody who disses Belichick especially goes to that length to diss Belichick you're not a Patriots fan like that's period bar none but spec but secondly uh, I didn't like the way that the media covered it like it was an actual thing. Like this was, this was something that needed to be listened to. Um, Dakota from Braintree, by all intents and purposes, the local media besides one station, and even they don't even really have him on there. He's just become, you know, he's again, another one of those celebrity callers, like the butcher boy, like, you know, like others who like, they're just there because, you know, they want something for themselves, but, they're not really there to offer anything. So, but unfortunately, uh, CLNS Media, uh, they've bec- they've become one of those, you know, not I wouldn't say necessarily huge, but they're just, you know, they they they're bringing in everybody and everybody. I'm a little. They got they got Greg freaking Bedard. So, <laughs> they're willing to take any any you know, homeless entity and bring them into their their fold. Wait, Greg. Wait, Greg Bedard of the Las Vegas Review Journal? Yeah, I thought, if, I if thought you, he was an up and coming GM. Them, they'd be like, who? You know, he, he, I mean, that's a get. You know, a week at the Las Vegas Review Journal, countless quote, you know, un, unnamed opportunities to be part of franchises. I mean, boy, oh boy, what a, what a get. I mean, self employed Greg Bedard. That's a, that's a, that's a get. He has been insufferable this week with his coverage of, of minicamp. I mean, it's just we'll, there's we'll 99% of 
Yeah, we'll yeah. get to that, Joe. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Uh, I'm just so excited. Just, <laughs> yeah, I know. Let, let, let's just finish with the Celtics for a little bit because um, I know it sucked uh, for the last game. Uh, a lot of turnovers, but um, it, it seems like this entire season, the Celtics make it harder on themselves. And I don't know if it's, it, you know, I, I don't have enough hair to lose with, with this team. So I, I'm just hoping that game, that this game, they take care of business, bring it back home and just end the thing because it's, it's starting to become, it's, it's the roller coaster. It's starting to become the, like this thing. I just, I just, now I want it to be over. I wanted it last, last time, but now it's like, okay. That. Just stick, stick, stick with, stick with what you do, and just get it over with. What I, what I do like, and I am encouraged by, is the fact that the Celtics, after games, are not talking about the other team's fans or moments. That they're talking about, we, we don't mean to make it this hard on ourselves. We promise. We, I need to take accountability for myself. I, Tatum saying, I need to do better. That's the stuff you like, and that's a lot of the reason. And credit to the Warriors for this, too. Neither team has lost back-to-back games the entire postseason. And so you, you've got to give some credit to the Warriors for that as well. But the Celtics have been an incredible road team and a resilient team coming off a loss. And so you've got to feel good going into game five, knowing that, that they haven't lost those back-to-back games. And if it just keeps that scratch, if neither team loses back-to-back games the rest of the series, the Celtics win the NBA championship because they'd win the next game. The Warriors would win game six in Boston, and it would almost be opposite home court advantage the rest of the way. Um, But just, you know, do what you've done. Bounce back from the tough loss. Keep yourself accountable. And they know they missed an opportunity there. They went ice cold. You know, there were turnovers, but it was really just ice cold shooting. They could not buy a bucket at the end of that game. Part of it was slowing down the tempo. But a lot of it was just they could not buy a bucket. They couldn't get the ball in the hoop. You do that a couple of times, that game looks a lot different near the end. Yeah. And I mean, going off what Jack said about they're making it difficult on themselves, it's reminiscent of the first five Super Bowls the Patriots won, where it was win by three. Oh, my God. Why do they do this? Why is nothing ever easy? Why is nothing ever easy? And that's what it's been for the last three series. I mean, the Nets series was great. Four-game sweep, and they had the week off. That was that was fantastic. Lovely. Bucks, they were down, yeah, going down 3-2, having to go in game six in Milwaukee, and then the Grant Williams game in game seven. Uh, the seven games against Miami, which they were the better team for probably all seven of those games. And, they, I mean, game five against Milwaukee, the one when they blew it, and Drew Holiday stole the ball from Marcus Smart twice. That was probably the most frustrating moment of the run. But, um, but yeah, they're not making it easy on themselves. And I think I do think they are the better team in this series. And I do think if Steph Curry shoots 10% worse from three, they're up – 3-1 they're up 4-0 it's just he is like you said he's been the only consistent player for the Warriors uh, Clay Thompson's had one and a half good games um, Draymond Green is looks like a make-a-wish kid out there he is terrible um, it's just incredible I mean Jordan Poole they're talking about him like the third splash brother the other night the game when he had the half-court shot he he only had 10 points or 11 points and people were talking about him in the MVP consideration it's just I mean Jalen Brown's been great uh, Derek White's been great um, Al Horford's been here and there. Marcus Smart's been here and there. Um, the moment Jason Tatum takes his level up 20% better, 15% better, I think this series is over. Um, I think they have the size. I mean, they started Otto Porter the other day. Otto Porter is probably the worst defender between both teams. It's just incredible. I don't know why he looks like he's just he's like a turnstile out there. And I mean, they're just, they're overmatching them. They have the talent. They just, it's just been a question. They've always had the talent. They've ever since you had these guys, it's always about the talent. It's all about execution. Now all the, all the doubters and the people questioning them, this is their moment to finally say, Hey, we've been worth the wait. You, you didn't split us up. You didn't fall into the hot take, trade me for Jimmy Butler, trade me for whoever. This is their moment. And it's, it's so fucking exciting. And I really hope they do not, they do not blow it because it'll be insufferable this summer and, and fall if they do blow it. I just want to shout out. Cause you're talking about different players. I want to shout out Rob Williams because he has mm-hmm. been tremendous, Absolutely. tremendous um, playing in limited minutes. And I know last, you know, last game he played some significant time. I think that the big challenge for Ime in these final two or three games of the year is to really think about how to leverage Rob 
and how many minutes you play him. Cause he looked gassed in the 30 ish minutes. He looked gassed at the end of that time. So is it better to have him for 22 great minutes or 31 with the last like 10 of them being okay? Like thinking about how to leverage him. When do you pair him with Horford? Do you need to bring in Tice a little bit so that you can do the combo of Horford and Rob? Because that seems like their most devastating lineup is when you can get both of them in because the boards are just so slanted towards the Celtics at that point. So I, I, it's about when can you leverage that? Do you need to you know, go small at certain points? You, that's going to be Ime's challenge in the last couple of games to find the right balance of minutes. Because it's like maybe Rob with how good he's feeling after two days rest here, as opposed to one day off between games uh, three and four, he might be more capable of doing that 30 minutes and he might be more efficient in that 30 minutes. But I mean, he's when he's feeling right, during the game he is a difference maker he alters everything the warriors do and his his play along with tatum's efficiency are going to be the real two keys to if the celtics are able to bring this home or not in my opinion yeah absolutely and really in general this series is excellent everything about it on both sides the series is excellent but the problem is the dialogue is centered around slander and narratives and this and that. And again, I'm going to sound like, I'm going to sound like old man yells at cloud, but it's like fans have never seen a game or a series where the other team played better. It's always an excuse whether, Oh, this team gave it away or this team didn't have heart. It's basketball. Sometimes you miss the shots you could have made. And sometimes the other team is lights out one night. It, it It's, it's, it's really unbelievable. I, I I just wish that we would enjoy this series because you know, outside of all the noise, outside of all the, the all the fuss, this is there's these are two really great teams who deserve to be there, and you know, all all, all the rest is just it, it's just it's just unnecessary. Celtics are one bad Steph Curry shooting out away from being NBA champions. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah, and that's to take nothing away from the Warriors. The Warriors. Were the three seed, if memory serves, in the West? Mm-hmm. They yep. they upped their game. They stepped up and did what championship caliber teams do. We were the two seed. They were the three seed. Both of us beat teams that you know got home court over us throughout the year for one reason or another. And it's what championship teams do. And if they lose, I'm already seeing people that are like, "Oh, if the Celtics blow this, you're not going to be able to win with Tatum and Brown." And it's like. You've already pushed the Golden State Warriors, without a doubt, the the most, you know, regularly successful team over the last 10 years. And you've taken them to five games already, beat them at home once. And while games separate at the end, they've largely been competitive through three quarters. One way or another, they've largely been competitive through three quarters, likely halfway into the fourth. And so they are not getting their doors blown off in multiple games they're not getting you know blown out in the first quarter and playing catch up it's an effective series between two really good teams that are looking to accomplish it in two very different ways which is an interesting story to tell one is a lot of you know a lot of motion a lot of just get an inch of separation and you can launch that up and the other is more scheme and drive and drive and kick and the you know the passing is you're cutting down the lane it's a it's an intriguing matchup and i wish people focused more on that than they did the fact that you know boston uses potty words yeah the, the series this series is gonna is is it's, it's going out on the line. That's what you want. So I'm I'm just glad they're in it. That's all. For sure. Like, I'm just, I mean, and, and as we all should be, because it's, it's, it's great to see. What so, has it been, three um, three years since we had a championship final for Boston? Yeah, it was the uh, Bruins yeah. and, and Blues. And then the yeah. few months before that was the Rams Super Bowl. So, yeah, yeah. it's been three years. Uh, you know, the, the drought. It, the, the drought, drought everybody. The, yeah, the drought has, you know, ended no, for finals don't do, appearances. Don't, don't do don't do the Fitzy jokes. Oh God, Jesus! I think we're, we're, be- we're better than that. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying it half sarcastically because you know we're entitled weekend for a reason, and we know that there are people that genuinely feel that way, and it's just it's not the truth that you know we've been we we could not have finals here for ten years, and we should be thanking our teams. 
you know, in large part. And I mean the players, maybe not, you know, maybe not the people that own the teams looking at you, Jeremy Jacobs looking at you, Henry Group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, but if, if the Celtics do lose, um, yeah, people won't be calling to break up the Jays again. They'll forget that we just beat uh, the Nets, uh, Milwaukee, and Miami. And they'll, mm-hmm. and if we lose at seven, it'll be, well, Tatum's a loser. Jalen Brown's mm-hmm. too focused on other things. Marcus Smart is horrible again. It's just, you got to trade Robert Williams. You can't stay healthy. It's just, you know, it'll come. Yeah. And it's just the, the, the dumb of the dumb will. We realize that Rob Williams will return next year healthy and he's still a developing player who will improve. We're bringing back, I, I believe, is it the entire team? I, I mean, it's really close if it's not the entire team. It's definitely the starting five. Um, I think White has another year on his deal. We bring back Grant Williams. Is Pritchard? Pritchard has another year on his. Pritchard's another year, and White is actually under contract for three more years. He signed a yeah. big extension with the Spurs, and I think the That's only right. one on question is Jalen Brown, I think, has one more year after this. I think we'll have to give him the max or whatever, but it'll be yeah. worth it. it it's going to be... It, right, exactly. It's, it's going to be smooth sailing, but there's going to be people who are pissing their pants, freaking out, but we've touched on that on so many other podcasts. It's just moot at this point. Yeah. So, you know, nothing, nothing worse than getting to a finals and having the entire team return with young players who will be better. <laughs> they put it that way. And yes. I, and I know the mothership mentioned this and, but, but all credit goes to uh, Brad Stevens and the general management uh, of, of the roster construction is just been amazing. So uh, that, and that is a major part of that. So, Oh, absolutely. Uh, congrats to him and on, on a job well done because this this team as a whole has been constructed re- really, really well. And the fact that, uh, you know, guys like Robert Williams have, have, have you know, anytime I see a, 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 the tweets that's saying that he's available, it's like, oh, things are about to be on now. That's how, that's that's what this means. So I'm, I'm just glad that the roster is constructed this way. So congrats to Brad on that. Um, Now I want to, I want to, shift gears a little bit to the Patriots because um I, look it's mini camp and it was only well I think it was only two days because the third day was canceled but look <laughs> there's there's just been so much noise about whether or not you know, where, where where's the offensive coordinator where's this where's that what's what's gonna happen with this what's gonna happen with that so much uncertainty that is not there there's uncertainty on the media side of things and and again fans take that and eat that up as if there are uncertain things about this team what what and i want to play this clip from a monday night football game that i found on twitter and first of all this isn't the first time that billatech didn't name an offensive coordinator to start the year so listen to this down in 20 so charlie weiss was the offensive coordinator. He now is the head coach at Notre Dame, and they beat Pitt the other night. Romeo Cornell, the defensive coordinator, now the head coach with the Cleveland Browns. So Eric Mangini becomes the young defensive coordinator. He's been with Belichick for a number of seasons. But interestingly, they they don't name an offensive coordinator. There's only one other team in the league that has an unnamed offensive coordinator, and that would be the Dallas Cowboys. You've got Parcells. And Belichick. Well, who do you think is calling the plays? I'll tell you, it's not Bill Belichick. No. The defensive pedigree, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know offense, obviously. Troy Brown up to the 32. So how is the play calling being done right now, John? Well, I was just watching him in practice, and this is uh, Josh McDaniels. is a young guy. He's a quarterback coach, and and he's the guy that calls the plays. He's the guy calling the practice. Now, if you look at him, you know, he has a play sheet there. Tom Brady has the plays on his wristband. Bill Belichick doesn't have a call sheet or a wristband. Yes, yeah, so that was the, I, I believe it was the four or five season, one of those. But yeah, this is not the first time this has happened. So all this histrionic reaction to oh my god they don't have an offensive coordinator who's going to call the plays it's all bullshit so don't listen to anybody who tells you that it's something that you need to be concerned about um so but look we all know matt jones is the starting quarterback there's no competition in that regard but he put on a show in minicamp and 
to me, I'm really excited that he's taking that step step up. It's it's a baby step, but he's taking a step up. Obviously, he's playing in a setting very much favoring the offense with no press man coverage or no pass rush, but he did what you want him to do. He made high-level throws and has a full command of the offense. Jacoby Myers said as much, and I, I think he's going to have – he is going to shock so many people. It's going to be so funny, and, you know, especially guys like uh, Warren Not Sharp, who, you know, is reduced to making stupid memes on the internet about uh, Mac Jones not making a second-year leap. And I, I think there are so many people who are going to get a rude awakening, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there are two things you you know, there are a few things in minicamp that you can look for because of how limited they are. You know, I feel like this is the old man yells to cloudcast at this point, but like you're not getting blocking, you're not getting, you know, it's harder to assess a running back, it's harder to assess a lineman, it's harder to it, it, during a minicamp. You're just looking for the things that pop quarterbacks, you can assess some things. You can assess the velocity of their ball. You can assess their touch. You can ass assess how crisp it's coming out of their hand. You can assess a lot. And Mac Jones talked a lot this, you know, from the Pro Bowl through the offseason. A lot about, you know, wanting to, you know, improve his physical strength. And then there was a lot of talk around him about working with House, working with other people on being able, you know, his throwing mechanics. And several people noted that there is more zip on his ball this year than there was last year. And at each of the two minicamp practices, you heard about downfield throws with touch only where the receiver could catch it. And that's what you want to hear. That's the stuff that you can take away and go, that was an element that was a little less zip on the ball. That's something that's going to elevate his game to help him be able to fit it into tighter windows on the shorter routes. Harder thrown balls are more, more likely to be caught by offensive players and not to be deflected by defensive players. It's just the nature of that. That's the nature of the position. So you can take that away and run with it. You can take a lot away from some of the stuff with like Trey Nixon as well, where he's able to be, you know, getting the ball downfield and moving, you know, he's able to get the ball downfield. He's looking shifty. He's looking good. What you can't tell with him is like, can he block in the run game? That's the stuff that, you know, training camp is going to assess. And so it's like, you can be hopeful about some players after this, but quarterback is the position you can take the most away from that will translate to actual games, especially when you're talking about velocity and the ability to hit different pieces of the root tree. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think it's, um, I do think we're going to be shocked at Mac Jones's development. I think we can all agree that uh, Mac Jones is obviously matured. He's definitely a leader in that, in that locker room. And that's evident by the way he, teammates speak about him about, I mean, I've been watching at length this entire offseason, all of Kendrick Warren's YouTube videos. I'm, I've fallen victim to that, that, that sinkhole of just watching those for hours on end. And you can just tell the respect that his teammates have for him. Um, and I mean, that's really, that's obviously that, that can't go understated how important that is. Um, I am really, really excited to see what his his physical development is like this offseason going into next year. I think that I do think he's going to come in slimmer. I think we saw some photos of him. He lost that belly fat. Um, and I, I just think he's going to have some more zip on the ball. I think he's going to be I think he's going to be a top 10, top 12 quarterback in the league this year, uh, which is which isn't too crazy to say for a first round pick second year. But I do think that um, he's going to be fantastic. And I know that we saw all week uh, the the. The, the numbers he was putting up on in seven on sevens, which obviously is, is, is an advantage for the offense. But I do think that he's in, he's working, he's making these, he's obviously incredibly accurate. We saw that last year. If he can just add some zip to the ball and get some physical traits. And I mean, even last year, he extended plays with his feet and he's got, he's got some wheels. He's going to, he's going to pick up some third and twos, some, some third and threes on, on broken plays. And I just, and I mean, obviously we talk about weapons a lot too. He's going to have another year with his guys. He's going to have another year with Hunter Henry. John Smith hopefully improves. Uh, Devontae Parker is going to be huge for him. Kendrick Bourne, obviously. It's just, we've, we know this, but there's going to be a linear line of going upwards for, for Mac Jones progression and his, and his skill and development. And I think, I think, again, we, we, us, this podcast and people who think alike here are going to level his expectations and realize what we're looking at is a, is 
is rational and objective. And there's going to be, he might throw 35 touchdowns and 10 interceptions next year. And there'll still be people who will say that he sucks. And DJ Bean will still do the whole, Hey, I want to be Felger stick and say, Mac Jones is terrible. Or people will still say, Hey, he's going to be, he's going to be Andy Dalton at Patriots are good next year. And, and Mac Jones progresses. I'm going to be ecstatic. That's all I'm looking for. That's all I'm looking for. And the Patriots are going to be good. They're good. They were good last year. People forget that. You minus out the cam seven and nine disaster and you bring in last year, they go to the playoffs. They even beat the bills in a game. They haven't, they people forget. People are just forgetting that last year was a success and Mac Jones will improve. And uh, obviously I'm excited for, for this fall and, and, and late summer when we can get some more, more analysis and more in open practices and see what he can do, but he's going to be better. And he's, he's making every decision he's done has been correct. He, he's not an asshole. He's a leader. His teammates respect him. He's improved. He gets pissed when he loses. It's just he's the prototypical what you want in a young quarterback. And there's still people here who will just hate him because it's trendy and fun. But it's not fun. It's douchey. Yeah, and <laughs> more so than year one, this is what I'm personally thinking of as the Mac Jones season. And the reason I think of it that way is that I think that the expectations for the Patriots this year are to be a good team, but I don't think anybody's saying right now, like they should be winning, you know, they're a Super Bowl favorite. Well, the goal of this is for Mac to develop, to show what he can do in the second year with familiarity in the system, to show his leveling up and to increase that sort of notoriety across the league as a leader. And then the Patriots have $70 million in cap space. They have a young quarterback who's shown himself to be a leader in developing, and it's going to start making New England, in addition to Belichick, a destination for players to come to because it's a team on the rise where they can still, you know, get their money. They're not taking the, you know, they're not taking the discount, that, you know, to go and, you know, chase one ring as a, a last year veteran, but it's the, you know, the 26, 27 year old free agent who's going to sign a five year deal wants consistency at the quarterback position and they want somebody who's going to be able to help them contend. And that's the type of free agent you're going to be able to attract with a young quarterback like Mac and with a coach who's in his ear like Belichick. Yeah. And these spring practices, like you were saying, Bill, this is a time for teaching and getting everyone on the same page. And Mac was actively involved in that process with his supporting team. And he spent time with the receivers, explaining how the way he wanted his routes being run or what he was seeing in particular situations at certain times. And the results, I mean, they were there uh, between Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, there were several impressive. I mean, these media people, which I the thing I love the most is that they had to tell what was going on instead of sugar instead of color coding it the way they want it framed they had to report it the way it was being reported which <laughs> which is what i love the most um Z nesson zach cox said that he was seven for eight on passes that traveled more than 20 yards in the air um and i just find i just find it hilarious so um and again, what I'm what I'm re really liking is the unwavering support from all the offensive players, and it's a team effort, and that's what you want. And I can't wait for for them to let Matt cook. Yeah, I, I can't wait either. I, and it's funny that we, <laughs> you're saying you're so excited that these these media people had to be objective. Think about how crazy of a sentence that is that you are just ecstatic that people in the media were being objective. You were reporting on what is actually fact. It's just, it's, it's crazy to think that, I mean, there's spin in all, in all sides and, and faces of news everywhere in the world. That's just the society we live in, but specifically in our little niche corner of New England. So I, I think that, you know, a lot of what was said was, is really important about the objectivity. But when you're talking about the ones we trust, like the Howes and the Reeses of the world, what's really critical is they have seen the development of Tom Brady. They've seen the development of quarterbacks over their time here. They've seen the development of Jimmy Garoppolo. They've seen the development of Jacoby Brissett. There's been good quarterbacks that have come in and out of the room here. And so they've seen what what is required to be a high-level quarterback in the league. And I'm not saying Garoppolo, Brissett, high level, but they're starting, they've been starting quarterbacks in this league. And so they need to, they've seen what needs 
to be developed. And when they're talking about a better touch on the deep ball, when they're talking about more power in throws, when they're talking about the leadership qualities, you've got to take that with some you know, weight. That has some, some significant weight to it. And then when that's corroborated by the people that Shaq is you know, rightfully calling out is like not always being objective, but having to be objective in those moments, that's just all the more encouraging to hear. Because that's telling us, like, it's not just, you know, those that really have done that for a long time and understand and, like, you know, have been in the room and know, you know, know that what the development looks like. It's the people who you don't always trust still saying the same thing and cooperating the positivity that they don't always view. And that says a lot about what Mac showed in just two days. And, you know, we've got training camp coming. We've got, you know, a lot of off-season still to come here that we can see the development of Mac Jones before we kick off the season. But all in all, that's exceptionally, you know, it makes me exceptionally optimistic when even the doubters of Mac Jones are speaking truth about his uptick in several areas that are critical to the quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just waiting for when the team finally announces that they're going to wear the red jerseys this year. I'm, that's I can't get my mind off of that. I'm looking forward to the announcement from the Patriots' official Twitter account that they'll be wearing the reds on Thanksgiving. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> They've been putting little hints and gems out there for a while now, so I, I think they're going to they're they're on pace to doing that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so uh, we hope it's been a, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it, it has. So um, let's get to final thoughts. Um, Joe, what is your final thought? Yeah, so um, I think my final thought will have to be centered around the Celtics and just um, the patience and development that I, I can even say that I really didn't have um, in the young core of this team. I I. I guess we can say that this rebuild started in the summer of 2012. So it's been 10 years, right? And in that 10 years, we we've had some Isaiah Thomas seasons. Yeah. So I think, I think my final thought is going to have to be centered around the Celtics team in, in the last decade or so of, of Boston Celtics basketball um, in 2012, I guess you can say that the, that the rebuild, um, the Pierce Garnett, Ray Allen era finally was ended with the, with the trade, obviously, to the Nets for the three unprotected first-round picks in 2012. And in, that, in the last 10 years, it's been an absolute roller coaster of a rebuild um, with a lot of Eastern Conference Finals appearances, not with even the young core, really, with Isaiah Thomas, with the Amir Johnsons, the Chris Humphreys. I mean, there's been so many players on, in, in the last 10 years. And this, this rebuild in this, in this run has been really special to me. Um, Specifically, when we'll start in 2016 during the NBA draft, I was in a summer class in college and I was sitting in the back of the class watching the NBA draft, not paying attention because I was the kind of student I was. Um, and I remember we had the it was the first pick we had the Nets and it was the third overall pick because, you know, 10 years ago we were watching lotteries and we were getting a lot out of it. And the Celtics were finally getting lucky on lotteries, which was a big effing deal. So I didn't swear there for Clay Thompson, but um. But yeah, we had the third overall pick, and I remember being being so nervous and wanting to trade that pick, whether it be for Jimmy Butler or for or for even packaging it for Anthony Davis. And I just I was so wrong, and I was so glad that I was wrong. We drafted Jalen Brown that night, and then the year after, we drafted Jason Tatum. Um, and we even had, we had a team with Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford. Like that team was so talented. We we take for granted what Danny Ainge did and the patience he explored, and I'm so glad he didn't look at Twitter every trade deadline because people were so pissed, including myself, that we didn't do anything. I'm just so glad that he was patient, and I'm so glad that that it's working out and that we have this young core of, of likable players. Um, it's just been a lot of fun, and I mean, I remember after after we beat the Heat, and we were saying earlier how excited we were to be in the NBA Finals, like. I am really, really fucking excited that we are in the NBA finals. It's taken a long time to jump over that hump, um, especially in the last decade. We've seen the NBA as a superstar driven lead, whether it be superstars going to L.A. or Miami or or no uh, no uh, income tax states um, or even New York. It's a superstar driven league. And it finally feels like the first year where it's like, wow, we are a homegrown team of superstars that did not bail of superstars. We didn't package up for for one year, two year rentals. And it's just. 
it's working out. I've I always thought that winning the NBA title might be the hardest because of because of the superstars and how much power they have in the league and how little and how little um, coaches and GMs have in, in terms of of controlling what they can control. And it's really really refreshing to see that our the two guys that we drafted are leading this rebuild and the rebuild actually worked because we've seen so many teams and franchises where there have been failed rebuilds. I'm so glad I'm not a fan of the Sacramento Kings. What a fucking dog shit organization they are. I'm just, I'm just, it's just refreshing. And it's just been really exciting. And I really hope they, they, they pull through because I really enjoy watching this team and playoffs have been a lot of fun. Um, and it'd be all the more better if we can win tomorrow night game five and then, and then win game six, like we did in 2008 at home with a blowout. That's what I'm really hoping is going to happen. Um, and I hope they prove me wrong because I hope they I hope they finally execute and get the job done. But that's my final thought. Bill, you're up. All right. So I'm I'm gonna hit on something sort of similar. It hits a little on the Celtics, but I I really want to hit on the difference in ownership we have in Boston right now. Because there's really a pretty clear dichotomy between two of the owners and the other two owners or ownership groups. I really need to commend Wick because we talk a lot about Brad. We talk a lot about Ime. We talk a lot about the player. Wick and his team have spent, have navigated, you know, gone over the cap, even on teams that might not have been going all because they want the most competitive team possible. They're building for the future. They're putting assets together. They're getting, you know, establishing in such a way where they could get the trade exceptions that help them bring in more talent when they're ready to contend. And so they've never shied away from significant spending, from making the big move, from doing the thing that might not be popular in the moment. And doing the right thing for the franchise. And so I really, you know, Wick is an exceptional owner. Um, and I, 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 you know, I can't say enough about that. And then additionally, I know there are some, some lumps and warts that people don't like about them and fair enough, but Kraft and the Kraft group are also, you know, spending. We're hearing all the stuff in Buffalo right now about the funding and there's Kraft saying, we're going to renovate Gillette stadium is a treat. Like, you know, we're going to do this large overhaul of Gillette Stadium to keep it modern, to keep it great. And that's huge. They, they just, they want the experience of being a Patriots fan to be exceptional. And that's something that I think Kraft has always had in mind because he was a fan first. And so to his credit, getting, you know, getting Gillette Stadium built the consistent renovations, building the experience around the stadium where you've got the shopping, you've got, you know, going to Gillette Stadium. I live a mile down the movie and I see the banners lit up overnight is a cool thing. It's not just something that you go and you see when you're going to a Patriots game. It's something you can see and experience for a various multitude of reasons. And they put a competitive team on the field. And they, you know, put the right pieces together. They spend, they, they do the things you want an owner to do. Obviously, the other two owners in, in the town do things a little bit differently. And I'm going to hit on Fenway Group first. Pay Bogart's endeavors. What the fuck are we doing? What the fuck are we doing? Pay them. Pay them. We, we have two young superstars who can be the cornerstone of your franchise and have been and both have been very successful. Why have we not paid them yet? And if you're not going to pay them, then you better trade them and get assets because you've played this game before where you've not gotten things for people that have walked out the damn door. And they are just, it, it's borderline malicious the way they negotiate with players. And it gets ticky tack and it gets, you know, it gets gritty and it gets uncomfortable. And I get you're not going to pay everyone. We all know that in sports, players go to different teams. They are malicious in the way they do that. They're aggressive in their increases for the cost of things, and they're limited in the improvements that they do to their stadium. And in part, partially because of where it is, and I understand, but like they are, they are not pouring the money into the experience or into the team in the same way. And maybe they're gearing up the sell because it sort of feels that way with wanting to keep the books pretty clear. But at the end of the day, there it's a very uncomfortable position to be in as a Red Sox fan when you largely like the players and the team that comes in and you love the manager. And you've got this really odd ownership group that does things that are borderline toxic with some of their players. And it's uncomfortable. And then Jeremy Jacobs. And, I, you know, to his credit, once he got the cap, he spent to it. 
He always said he would, and he did. And I, that's, I respect that, and they have put a competitive team on, largely because they have one of a generational two-way center that was homegrown and all that. that but that aside, a leopard never changes their stripes. And the way that Bruce Cassidy's firing was handled was disgusting. You do not tell a man his job is safe and then say, just kidding, two weeks later. That is disgusting. And if anybody did that to anyone listening to this podcast, they would feel disgusted by it. They would feel betrayed by it. And the fact that he went out and did an interview after that, Bruce Cassidy, and talked about how much he enjoyed his time in Boston, talked about a love for Boston. And when asked if he had a message for Boston as a last question in that presser, that he wanted Brad and Eme to bring it home and that the Cassidy family was rooting for them, go Celtics. Tells you that that man was a, is a man of integrity and I really am rooting for him to get another crack really soon as a head coach. It seems like he's got some interest that will be great for him. But Jeremy Jacobs and his leadership with Neely and Sweeney, it's, it's, that's, that was a disgusting display of, of exactly who owns that franchise and the decision making that goes on at the highest levels there and it trickles down to some of those leaders that are in their teams and you see it with you know Ime and Brad Underwick you see you see great leadership you see great leadership with Belichick and you know with Belichick and Kraft fortunately you don't see a lot of trickle down the Cora from Fenway but it really feels like Jacobs and the way he handles business has trickled down to Cam Neely. And that's really disappointing to see. And it's it, it was just a disgusting display of exactly what that leadership is. And so I, I, I hate to say that it, it, it hurts at times to root for that person to hold the Stanley Cup. It hurts to root for people to win championships that own some of our teams. But it does. Because I want the players to win. I want the coaches to win. I want our city to win. Uh, but there, there are owners in our town that are despicable and, you know, at varying levels, but it's a real dichotomy. between Oh, and Bill, I don't know if we're good. We're simpatico or anything, but. My final thought is kind of uh, aligned with yours, and it has to do with, uh, with one particular ownership group, and that's uh, John Henry and his ownership group, and the ridiculous, and I think, and this is a rarity where mostly everyone agrees with this, um, the idiocy that is the rollout of their new streaming service, Nesson 360. Um <laughs> uh, it's 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 a, they're streaming app for cord cutters. They're asking for twenty nine ninety nine a month, nothing extra for current subscribers. Um, and what it is is Nesson Live. It's a library of Red Sox and Bruins games and original content. And the original content has to do with Jared Carabas and the Pitching Ninja. And their 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 claim to fame is they're the first RSN to offer this for. Uh, Major League Baseball and NHL games. And I mean, this is just so out of touch, it's unbelievable. I mean, because first, on one side, you have your newspaper, John Henry, the Boston Globe, you know, talking about, oh, greedy corporations making rougher plot profits because of inflation. And now you have your cable company saying, hey, give us $29.99 and we'll, we'll, we'll give you uh, pocket money. Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, this is this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. And it, what what what? There's nothing that's going to entice people to want to get this because, first of all, like both teams are like the the Bruins are out right now, so there's really not that much. Uh, and and the Red Sox, I mean, I, you can't watch it if you're somewhere else. If you're uh, if you're in New York, for instance, you can't. If you're a Red Sox fan, you can't watch it. So. Why would you pay $30 for something that you can watch MLB TV for? You could watch all outside games for, for I believe, the same price. So it, it's just, they're just so out of touch and it's unbelievable. 
Um, yeah, like you said, pay Devers, pay pay these guys. It's unbelievable that they're this out of touch. And look, I, but I would but I would say this: if the Patriots came out with a streaming service and they had like all these shows, I'd buy it. I, I'd buy it just for just for the simple fact that I trust uh, Craft Sports Productions and that whole their whole team more often than I trust Nesson and anybody else. I mean, because you, if you're hiring hiring Tony Maserati for your for your uh, play by play, then you you clearly have shown that you are, you are out of touch with everything that you do in programming. So, um, yeah, I'll keep my Disney Plus for seven ninety nine. I'll keep my Netflix for nine ninety nine. I'll keep my Discovery Plus for six ninety nine. I'll keep all those streaming services that that take me away from the um, negativity of Boston sports media. I don't want more of it for for thirty dollars. So. No, no bueno on that. Uh, Nesson can go to hell, and 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 so can everything else that uh, involves Don Henry for for that matter. So, nope on that. Um, so that's gonna do it for entitled ta- for title weekend. Um, the mothership entitled town will be back um, this week, I believe, and um, you can follow all of our stuff. You can follow me. I'm at Atomic Dog fifty one fifty. You can follow Bill at the Fib um, 0210, I believe. And you can 06 follow. Two four. Right. Oh, oh, 0624. Yeah. And you can follow. And you can follow Joe at, I believe, Joe S A V I G N A N L, Joe Savignano. So until next time, turn off your radios, slugs. <laughs>